You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is A Relaxing Spa Day for Verstappen. That title suggested on Twitter by Matt Ford. Runner-up was Wedge with, If you don't leave a space, you walk home from the race. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. Welcome to the Spartacular Race Review. You can tell I didn't write the show notes this week. Okay, it wasn't a spectacular race. If anything, the regulations made it too easy to pass and then also too hard to pass. It was an odd concoction of things that led to a pretty stifled event. And some people are saying, oh, it was over by lap 14. But as I've said lots in the past, any any true sport will have the odd, less exciting event at one end of the bell curve. We could have had many competition cautions to spice things up, not naming any NASCARs. We could have gone full playground rules and said next goal wins, like in Abu Dhabi. Uh, But F1 should, and I believe is, striving to be a proper and entertaining sport. And sometimes it just goes like that. An event won't quite bang. Yet there's a lot of really interesting things to talk about. And in fact, those less action-packed races often give us more freedom to chat about topics and stuff. I'll also address the elephant in the room, that it was a tough day for the Hamfosi. And although I am brutally neutral, I can empathise with Hamilton fans. It's been a tough day. Um, All hope, all realistic hope, was really gone when they didn't turn up with a great car in Silverstone. But there was this tantalising nugget that maybe they were going to turn up after the summer break and they were just going to burst onto the scene and cause the chaos that Lewis Hamilton was promising in the summer break. But today, for Hamilton fans and for Mercedes fans, it was a triple drubbing, really. And, um, and I think some of them might be feeling that today. The Mercedes Phoenix remained a pile of ashes Hamilton wrecks his own race. And then not only that, 
but his main rival destroys the field in an ominous and foreboding way. And hey, this happens in Formula One. Non-Hamilton fans have had it with Lewis Hamilton, haven't they? I've seen you people in the background who were Button fans and then Rosberg fans and then Vettel fans and then Verstappen fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see you. I see you in the corner, Derek. And I know that feeling as well from the Verstappen, from the Vettel and Schumacher era as well. And I got that kind of foreboding feeling today when when Verstappen just ate up the whole field and was suddenly on the back of Carlos Sainz, who I was sure had a healthy five-second lead just before that. But look, this is one of the coolest things about watching F1, being emotionally invested, riding the highs and the lows. Without the broccoli, the butter is just a fatty goo. So coming up, we'll discuss, is Ferrari an upside-down tortoise? Will anyone put them back on their feet? We'll say, uh, whose fault is it to all the things and the crashes and the tactic calls? And we'll see who ate the most from the buffet carriage of the midfield DRS train. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind support of our partners. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by Matt to Rumpet. Say, Matt. Hey, that's not a curb. That's Alonzo. Yes, you cannot launch yourself over an Alonso and still expect to hit the apex. We've got edgy engineer Kyle Power. Spectacularly inevitable dominance. Don't, don't call it inevitable, although it might be. And we have TikTok sensation Antonia Rankin. Hey, Antonia. Hi, I'm coming to you wearing my special new pair of podcasting headphones. Okay, that's, I mean, normally people go with an F1 related thing, but nice new headphones. I was headphones. very excited about these. Let's hope that you can hear things well then. All right. Look, the the race wasn't a banger, uh, but there was uh, quite a lot of interesting things there. Um, Actually, as I said in the intro, there was this weird combination where it was either too easy to just breeze by someone because of that DRS zone down the Kemmel Strait. Or it was people being stuck in DRS trains and not being able to go anywhere, especially with cars like Albon with the top high speed. And it, it just made for it just made for a, yeah an uneventful ish event in the whole. But I think DRS kind of dominated a lot of that and a lot of that chat. What, what do we think uh, we could do here? I, I was thinking that perhaps the DRS being so overpowered in a 1v1 situation is actually a testament to how well the regulations have been working elsewhere. But this is just, this is normally a place where we go, oh, thank goodness, Kyle, there's somewhere we can overtake at least. Yeah, Um, it's a strange one. I quite like your idea you put on Twitter. I think that was you. You said, unless you have one second gap behind you, you don't get DRS. That will kind of prevent the DRS train somewhat. But what I'd like to see them do is what they used to do in 2011 when it first came in in 2012 they used to adjust it throughout the weekend so they could maybe see on the friday this is going to be way too overpowered let's decrease the length of the drs zone and move the line and the sensors a little bit so it was a bit too overpowered in this one uh so i reckon if they maybe could have halved the length of the drs zone with these new regs i still do think it's a necessary evil but if they halved the length of the zone i think that would have made it a little bit better Yeah, to be honest, I'm inclined to agree. I think the issue with the placement of the DRS zone especially is if a car gets a great launch coming out of um, 
La Source then going into Eau Rouge Radion, they've got a fantastic launch into the Kemmel Strait. So by the time they get there, the eight and a half kilometers an hour that the DRS is allegedly worth triples almost, it seems, because the cars just breeze past. So the overtakes are just so easy to execute. Yeah, exactly that. And and DRS is supposed to be an overtaking aid. It's not supposed to affect the pass in its entirety, which is what we're seeing. As yeah. soon as you get out of the source behind them, it's like, right, it's an absolute done deal now. You want it to just put them in, in position so they can have a banzai on the brakes into Le Coupe. I will jump in with uh, my favorite suggestion, which is timed DRS for the whole race and use it when you want, which makes it a fun strategic thing that could be deployed even if you weren't being chased by someone. But the point I want to make, and especially about that DRS train that Albin was running, was, well, first of all, he didn't have DRS and no one could get past him. So, I, I, I mean, it's fun to blame DRS, but in that case, it didn't work at all for Stroll, who was directly behind him. But I think Partially, we're looking at the different types of cars that we're racing, sort of these high downforce, low top speed cars versus these very slippery mm. high top speed cars that made it perhaps look a bit worse than it really is. Yeah, with the new regs, the cars follow straight behind each other. Obviously, the dirty air doesn't have as much of an effect as it used to. So even when there isn't DRS, if there's cars all lined up with the slipstream effect, as well as the fact that they can just follow right behind each other, Albon's car did seem triple its width today. Yeah, and it makes it particularly bad in the DRS zone when, as Matt said, you get probably the fastest car in a straight line through the speed traps today at the head of the train. So I don't know what you could do about that, whether you nerf their top speed. But yeah. if if the others using Spanner's idea behind had won't do not get DRS unless they have a clear second yeah. behind them, that will help the train sort itself okay. out because essentially everyone gets stuck in now in this same order mm. and no one can do it because they've all got DRS. So if you stop them having DRS and just use pure slipstream, it might make it a bit different. Okay, so yeah, this was my idea. So if you if you are if you catch up with Albon, you've got DRS against him, and that's fine. As soon as somebody gets within a second of you, they get the DRS, but you don't. So I don't know how technologically difficult that is. I guess that it gets made available to you or not. Is it automatic for the drivers whether DRS is available or not? Like if you're if you don't qualify for DRS and you podge the button, does it open? No. Ah. No, like they'll they'll get an audible bleep and you get a light on the steering wheel which lets them know that they've they've got DRS through the detection zone. And that's but automatic. If you hit, it, yeah. Ah, yeah, but okay. it's, it doesn't automatically open. They can obviously open it. That would be a bit of a safety issue if it just automatically pops open. But they can open it. Ah. But if they if they try to open it and it's not available, they they physically can't. Ah, I feel kind of stupid now. Like of course it's automatic. I feel like when I was a kid and I thought that all traffic lights like had a person nearby that was deciding when it was time to go. Yeah, so you could have an automatic detection that doesn't make it available if there's a car in your DRS window. That's That that feels doable. And then what you would get is the car at the back of the train gets an advantage and can, can go and overtake. That creates a little bit of racing. They probably lose the gap a little bit to the DRS in front, which would mean that that car, say there's a chain of four and you've got the back two squabbling, and then the second car suddenly goes, oh, they're squabbling. Oh, I've got DRS now. And you, maybe that would be an easy way easy way to solve I think I solved it, Kyle. I think I did it again. Ish. I actually really, really like Matt's idea of a finite amount of use of DRS. So that would solve it. It would become more tactical. So say you can use DRS 15 times during the race. Uh, and that know. is it. So some people would then all be saving theirs up. And that would definitely change the order in the queue. Um, I think we just need to change the order in the DRS train queues and not just have it locked in. And then we might be able to see different cars quick at different parts of the track actually do something about it 
Yeah, that's reminiscent of me. If any of you guys watch uh, Formula E, they can like drive through a zone to get like a boost yeah. at a selective time. And th- yeah. that's kind of what this conversation is reminding me of, where they can kind of choose when they want their boost of extra speed that I guess DRS is. So I guess in a way it, it would be an interesting element because Formula E have something similar, but yeah. in, in practice, we'd have a very neutralized race. All the listeners over 40 are, are yelling at you right now to get off our get off our Formula One lawn. But yeah, you can see them like you have to like drive over a detection zone and get a little bit more. My my feeling with that is it'll end up just becoming nerfed and neutralized. You know, you see the flap ahead open and and then you can open your flap. But anyway, there's, you know, Matt, other reasons why perhaps, you know, this race didn't bang. We've got uh, we've got cars on completely different strategies. And with the pace advantage that Red Bull had have, uh, it w- it's like multi-class. It, it felt like multi-class F1 out there. Yeah, well, there are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, is the basic characteristic of the Red Bull was very well suited to Spa. Second, we had a brand new, um, I think, checking my notes here, internal combustion engine and some brand new um, energy recovery system parts for Verstappen, which made him even faster than fast. And I think really what you're looking at too, and and it's not been talked about as much, is that the particular characteristic in terms of ride height adjustment, does everybody remember in free practice, we saw all the plank material all over the hill on the way up. Yeah, that was cool. Oh, Rouge. Yeah. Didn't see that today, did you? Why? Because they had to adjust their ride heights. And considering that Red Bull run more rake, that maybe affected them less than it did perhaps Mercedes and Ferrari. Yeah, there's actually a way that the FIA have uh, found to measure ride height, which is basically if the ride height is too low, then the barge board, which is made of wood on the bottom of the floor, will be worn down through the race. So basically the regulation is that there has to be a certain amount of wood thickness left by the end of the race. Otherwise, the ride height is considered as being too low or dangerously low, and that's when they have to change it. And I think historically, as far as I can understand, they used to check the front so if you had high rates cars, it would be the front that would be vulnerable of that plank to wearing. Whereas this technical dire- directive really was just to say, right, we're now definitely going to be checking the back. So if you've been doing any trickery at the back, be aware that we're, we're looking out for that as well. But I think that's where we start, Kyle, is with Red Bull. The, this was um, shocking. It was shocking dominance. <laughs> um, and if you're a Max Verstappen fan and a Red Bull fan... I mean, that's going to be a pretty good news because it, it's the sort of domination that doesn't feel like, oh, they did good in this race, whatever Carlos Sainz tried to say. It looked like like the beginning. It looked like the little dragon eggs hatching and like the first, <laughs> it feels like the first Dracarys. And you're like, well, you knew they had some dragons. It's a Game of Thrones reference. But now the dragons are spitting fire and I'm a little nervous about what they've got in their pocket. Yeah, it's a bit like 2010 all over again. You're seeing the beast being the beast being unleashed. Um, mm. And as I said at the opening of the show, it, there there was an, a somewhat inevitability about Verstappen winning this race. And it's one of the first times I've had it where everybody was saying it. Yeah. Luckily, I got my bet in on the Friday before all the odds changed. Yeah. Um, and everyone was saying, it, and it actually came true. But the car looks spectacular, particularly in Verstappen's hands. They have monstrous straight line speed it's a ballistic missile in a straight line Perez had awesome straight line speed as well with the old power unit but also the thing I found particularly scary for the rest of the season Spa's a circuit of two sort of halves or thirds it's sector one sector three um yeah it's sort of two thirds it all makes sense there's sector one sector three which which are low downforce really fast and then okay, there's just okay, sector okay. two 
that is all about downforce and grip in the corners. And Red Bull were fast through all three sectors, which I found quite alarming. So they were really quick in a straight line, sector one and sector three, but also quick in sector two. So they've just got a spectacularly good, they've almost hit the holy grail with the with the aero efficiency, it would seem. Yes. Now, Antonio, you had uh, a note about the setup and why Red Bull were able to dominate in all three areas. Yeah. So basically, the aerodynamic uh, distribution at Spa is it's it's very heavy on the car, and it's important to absolutely nail it because, uh, like it was said, there's three distinct sections of the yeah. track, and there's a real balance that needs to be struck. So um, at the circuit, braking is huge. So it's actually not the most braking of any of the circuits, but it's the most intense braking of any of the circuits. So for example, going into the bus stop chicane, you're braking for more than 2.7, I think, seconds going into there, experiencing 5.9 Gs of force. And in order to nail that chicane, you need to have the right downforce and the front of the car especially cannot be twitchy, has to be well balanced on on the front axle. And I think with Verstappen's car, because he likes to drive it on the nose I think to that to that element at least Mm. aside from his driving skill I think that really would have played into his hands because the car would have been exactly where it needed to be in terms of downforce and whilst they were running a lower downforce package than Ferrari were I think that's what compensated and Matt if you looked at say Lewis Hamilton through that same section he was soaring the wheel trying to get several bites it sort of like seemed to understeer and he couldn't predict it and that was all going through the bus stop and that looked horrible by comparison uh, it did indeed um i'm actually wanting to bring up something i saw mark hughes read on twitter before the race which is that with the track temperatures being so much higher than they were on saturday the, the track itself was drifting more towards a rear limited track rather than a front limited track and the basic rule of thumb is front limited tracks are harder for Red Bull, rear limited ones, harder for Ferrari. Add to that the right height adjustment and maybe less downforce than they can run at other circuits. And you can see perhaps why the sector two advantage we would have expected Ferrari to have, and maybe Mercedes as well, was absolutely not there. There is another element to this as well. And actually Perez alluded to it in his post-race interview. Verstappen was just absolutely on fire this weekend he was absolutely gelled with the car he said himself from the moment he got on track it just clicked you know when you hear drivers saying they were struggling they couldn't find a balance all weekend i think he first rolled out the pit lane it was just right and then they could just hone it they weren't chasing the setup they were just making it faster and faster so he started strong and got stronger so mm. hats off the red bull they've done a monster they've absolutely nailed it as a team their pit stops were nailed as well they're almost sub second again today sub two seconds sorry and you just it's it's hard to envisage them making a mistake a la Ferrari. Okay, so what you're saying is it's all the car. Got it. Okay, brilliant. Um, uh, Tonya? Yeah, so obviously Red Bull for Verstappen have come in with uh, upgrades to the engine and the power unit this weekend. So obviously with the power unit, there's six components to it, but the ones that have been upgraded for Verstappen were the motor generator unit heat, the motor generator unit kinetic, the internal combustion engine, which is the petrol fueled element, and then the turbocharger. They upgraded all of those? All those those four those, elements. Those yeah. four elements, and that's why you got the penalties and started at the back. Internal combustion engine, that's um, that's a spray, ignite, boom, makes the things go up and down. Um, quick primer on the MGUK and MGUH, if, if you can do it in 30 seconds for us. Yep. So, right. The motor generator unit heat works when you've got the throttle open. So the car is going, 
um, you've got your throttle open, the ha- that harvested energy comes from there. So the uh-huh. energy is harvested from the turbocharger and it's stored in a battery to be deployed later. Got it. The motor generator unit kinetic works from braking. So the energy from there is harvested when the car is braking. So again, in spa, that's why the 13 seconds of braking per lap is so important. Mm. And then that energy also gets stored. However, the motor generator unit heats energy can be used to power the motor generator unit kinetic and make it more efficient. Now, Carl's nodding. I'm, I'm going to nod as well. I'm, I'm going to nod too. I'm going to nod too. So, but they had um, all new of those. So just to finish off that point, did that give Max, you know, a particular boost? It's like, for example, Hamilton at Brazil suddenly was just had a supercar. I would say so, especially when compared to his uh, competitors. So Charles only had a new motor generator unit, Kinetic, and then the energy store, which is the battery where the energy gets put for later. So when you look at the importance of the motor generator unit heat, which will collect over at least 3,500 kilojoules per lap compared to, I think at Spa, it's about uh, 800 kilojoules per lap for the motor generator unit kinetic. Right. So the motor generator unit heat is way more, uh, for the energy recovery system at least, way more important. So by having a new one of these, it powers the whole of the power unit feeding into all of the other elements, which Charles didn't have, which is why his pace this weekend was just so phenomenal. Well, we found a new Tech Time host anyway. Kyle. <laughs> yeah, there's another little bit with the um, MGUH. So the MGUK, it's kind of limited in how much they can recover per lap, but the MGUH, the surplus they 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 recover from the turbo, is actually unlimited. And this is where Honda's done an amazing job. So they don't deploy more power, but they can harvest more power which means they can deploy more, if that makes any sense. So that's where they they are very, very good at doing it. So coupled with a nice new engine, a nice fresh engine, and also their amazingly efficient aerodynamics, then yeah, it's a formidable, it's a formidable partnership. And also with Verstappen driving round Spa, fueled on by loads and loads of sort of, it's a second home race for him, essentially, because he is half Belgian, I believe. And so, yeah, um, that, like I said, it was, it was, inevitable even from the back of the grid i think even if he he would have spun he still would have won it was a mightily impressive dominant display from red bull and right jeez kyle matt yeah so i will just complain about the mguh being named heat because i thought it was thermal but actually it comes from exhaust energy and it is unlimited oh. but what makes all of this look so at you very, marking very... your tech territory look at that i see you interesting (laughs) what makes this also very very interesting is that you are allowed to um improve for performance the specification of the energy recovery system which is the energy store the mguk and the mguh and that dossier homologation dossier is due september 1st so i don't think if i've understood it correctly we saw an upgraded as in a new specification, I no, think we simply new. saw a yeah. brand new set of these parts on the cars for Verstappen. Okay, and finish up last point then, Antonio, because I did say to you guys, do not turn this into a tech time. No, and ex- exactly. It wasn't necessarily a new spec. It was just they upgraded the correct parts and brought the correct parts in that work perfectly into each other. Because if you look at actually how it works... The turbine is what spins from the exhaust from the motor generator unit heat. And by also upgrading the turbocharger in Verstappen's car, all of the exact right parts were upgraded at the exact right time, which is why I think there was quite a discrepancy to Leclerc's upgrades. That was me playing the tech time bumper. 
because I was being sarcastic because you talked about tech for too long. But I want to talk about a racing element. I got a good little email here from Ernst de Her, who said, I don't understand why everyone lets Max pass so easily. It's, it's something... It's something he sure never did, even if you were clearly faster or on a different strategy. So when he was not the front runner or even a lap ahead, you just had to muscle your way around Max. But now it's not even exciting anymore. When Max goes from umpteenth to first, they all just wave him through. Has he outbullied them? Have a good show. Uh, Kyle? No, it comes down to just logic, basically. So you will hear the radio messages quite a lot from, from the engineers to the drivers saying, don't lose too much time fighting so-and-so, they are not our race. So they know that the Stappen is really quick and is in the quickest car and is really quick. It's just like Hamilton never used to get fought too hard from most of the drivers. There were certain drivers who used to fight him hard just out of principle. But um, so there is points. If I'm fighting and I think my best result is going to be P5 or P6 and I'm fighting cars behind me and I have one of the people who are potentially going to win the race come flying up behind me, I am not going to throw away four or five seconds using defensive lines and burning my tyres up, desperately trying to keep them behind, because all I'm doing is hurting them, and I'm hurting my own race as well. So it's just pure logic. Yes, and the same thing did used to happen to to Lewis Hamilton as well. People used to kind of just wave him and Rosberg through, because there was no point losing time to them. And you also see it in, like, even in in our little iRacing series, you know, when, when the champ comes through, certainly when I'm bimbling along and I see Danny the champ or I see Carl come through, I go, what is the point in getting sucked in? And even in karting, actually, it's more crucial. You just you pick your battles as you go through. And in a non-spec series where you're up against, you know, drivers in much faster machinery or in karting, when you're up against someone 10 kilograms lighter, you do just go, oh, just shuffle on, <laughs> just shuffle on. So I don't think it's a case of that. But it is true that Verstappen did used to put up a heck of a fight in the midfield and make a make a mess of himself. Um, Alonso seems to be someone who does that. Doesn't matter where he is in the fight, he's gonna he's gonna string it along. And then later on, we'll probably get to how Lewis Hamilton is now finding himself as as a basically you know a top end midfield driver this season, but he's driving still as if cars are, are maybe going to get out of his way but i'm not mentally prepared for a game of whose fault is it just yet um so where did we get to on on the on the red bull dominance obviously we thought matt that perhaps there was going to be a little bit of nerfing with the technical directive so some people have said we can't judge it from from this track because of the undulation uh but red bull seem really confident that that it's not affecting them they they, they, they don't seem worried at all uh, they said before the break it wasn't going to affect them at all. And in fact, in mm. my discussions with Summers, he said that, you know, maybe it's like a tenth. Oh, And right, frankly, yeah. if if you want to be worried about Red Bull, be worried about the chassis that is yet to come because it's supposedly going to save them about, what, about seven or eight kilograms, which is worth close to three tenths a lap. Okay. And it's coming. Uh, the latest scuttlebutt is Singapore, maybe. I don't know. No one knows how they can pay for it, by the way. Ferrari have already raised this issue. The year is 2013, <laughs> and they're going to win every race from here until until Christmas. Perez coming under a lot of a flack, though, Kyle. Yes, I, I personally thought Perez had a, a very sort of lackluster weekend. Um, I tweeted uh, before the race saying that I think Perez, you know, this is this is a semi-open goal for him. I, I think with a you know, I, I expect him to jump science, but he, but he botched the start. And I, 
And a lot of people were saying, even though if Verstappen gets anywhere near him, Red Bull will swap the cars around. That actually wasn't the case in the end. Um, Perez actually defended Verstappen, but Verstappen shouldn't have been that close to him. Yes, the safety car really, really helped Verstappen. But Perez, that gap, it was a Bottas, Bottas-esque when we we were you know we saw in the Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes teammate era um it was very lackluster even though he had yes a bit more retired a bit more of an old engine I just I just thought it was a bit lack bit lackluster and he said himself that he was nowhere near Verstappen this weekend so yeah um a bit of a thumbs down from Perez I was a bit disappointed with his performance this weekend yeah, I, I am inclined to agree. I respect Perez hugely as a driver, but I do think there's a couple of reasons that we can maybe look at that performance discrepancy. I think, first of all, and m- most importantly, Verstappen did have upgrades that Perez didn't have. Perez's components will be under a lot of a lot more laps than Verstappen's are obviously being brand new. So the kind of oomph in the power unit might not quite be as there. I will say that I think if Perez had held up Verstappen for much longer, I do think that team orders would have come in you know you've got to let them have a little bit of a fight it out especially because they weren't under threat from anyone behind them in immediately in the vicinity but yeah I do think they would have swapped them around a bit later on but I do think it does just come down to Paris has signed his contract at Red Bull knowing full well what Red Bull are looking for which is someone to compliment Verstappen not to overshadow him or challenge him to compliment him and support him in his pushing for a title so Perez will know that unfortunately as bad as it sounds he is the second driver so if it comes down to it I do think Perez when he signed his contract knew full well what he was signing up for Matt yeah and I really don't want to overlook the safety car, both in regards to how Sainz race played out in the end, although I think he finished pretty much where he was going to finish. It would have been way more exciting to watch. But also in terms of Perez, the gap from Sainz to Verstappen when the safety car came out and Verstappen was in eighth place at the time was uh, nine seconds and change. And it was half that when the safety car came back in. And in another lap, Verstappen was two entire places closer because he was on the soft tire if he'd had to use those extra laps and pass those people lap by lap in between even with drs i i think you're looking at a different flavor of race i still think max would have won but i think perez would not have looked as lackluster by comparison because the because also because he is the tire whisperer also because this car is now in verstappen's wheelhouse and not perez wheelhouse and it's harder to get those tires back up to temperature um, after the safety car. Yeah. And I, I base my sort of criticism of Perez around the sort of tires because Verstappen was on the soft tires, which a lot of people were having sort of thermal degradation problems with. And Perez was on the mediums, but Verstappen managed to go one lap further with better pace on the softs versus the mediums that Perez was on. And it was when he actually got ahead of Perez, he dropped him so quickly. It was, it was dropping him like over a second a lap on in theory, what should have been much worse tires at the time. And that's what I found quite shocking. And I was like, wow, that must be galling to be, to be Perez. And then Perez actually had to pit one lap before Verstappen did. And you really would have thought that would have been the other way around. No. Okay. I'm not, I don't think we're denying at this point, you know, as a Perez fan as well, that, that, Perez is in any way outperforming Verstappen or getting close. But the gulf is big enough to me that I am absolutely certain, like, he didn't go to Red Bull and forget how to drive. He's still the driver that was picking up those great results in Istanbul that was um, that was trouncing the mighty Lance Stroll, mighty when it suits my argument, 
um, and, you know, did well against drivers such as Ocon and, and Hulkenberg. Um, yeah, you could argue, of course, Verstappen's a different level, but that gap is too big. And it's I, I feel that the gap is is bigger than when we were criticising Hamilton and Bottas. The Hamilton and Bottas gap, it did look like a, a driver skill gap. Um, but, you know, he was Bottas was able to to compete in qualifying. They often ran different setups and different approaches. But but this is this is a golf, and I I don't think it's controversial to say either that the car is set up so much in favour of uh, Verstappen, or they pay more attention to Verstappen's setup, or the whole weekend is tailored around his setup, uh, or even that they have slightly different mismatched upgrades or slightly different specs. I don't think any of that is a mad conspiracy theory when you look at the qualifying and when it came to Perez, who was the only person who had a chance for for a for a front row start or for pole position. Instead of Verstappen coming out and giving him a toe like Leclerc did, Verstappen just gets out and goes. I'm pretty sure the team went home. If Perez was a kid at soccer practice, he'd be there in the rain holding his leftover lunch from the school day going, no, no, it's okay. Don't don't worry, Mrs. Derrickson. My parents will be here any minute. I promise. Like he Red will run a second car because they have to. Carl. So the Perez is Kevin from home alone. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Just sort of left behind. Yeah. I I sort of semi agree. It is unusual because this was this driver who won Monaco, and it looked like finally we're like, yes, he's actually yeah, yeah. he was competing he was getting a lot against closer. Yeah, Verstappen, which I found amazing. So yeah, it has opened up into a golf, which must be demoralising. Now, is that Verstappen being amazing and moving on? Is that the car being tailored a bit more to Verstappen? Is that Perez maybe falling off form as Antonia said, um, and he's getting a bit comfy and putting on you know a bit of a tire band round a waistline now you're married type thing? Is it? I, it, I feel it, seen, it but yeah, okay. <laughs> I think it's a combination of all of those things, personally. Yeah, again, I think it comes down to Verstappen is the driver that's pushing for the championship. And of course, Red Bull are going to do absolutely everything they can do to try and secure that. So if it comes down to choosing a setup that either suits Verstappen more or suits Checo more, they're going to choose Verstappen. You know, yeah. so and all of these small decisions that will be slightly tilted towards Verstappen will end up being a car that drives for him better, that is more suited to his style, and that he'll be able to extract the most potential from. And and I think and I actually think that's fine. If I was a team boss, I would always have a number one. Um, my number two driver is kind of either a spare or a young driver that you're bringing on. I would always prioritize one driver. The second driver would play the team game. I completely get that. All I'm saying is, let's not throw Perez on the on the scrap heap or on the barbecue you know because this is the position he finds him on uh, finds himself in okay can't put this off forever ferrari well uh who and where and what shall we start with this is crazy i don't think my little t- tortoise on its back analogy at the start of the show it's too far off. I they are they seem to be lost when it comes to tactics because we we hear it in real time uh, and it doesn't sound decisive. It sounds like they are struggling and they really don't know. It sounds now as if they're almost nervous of their drivers. Like the strategists are, are nervous of making the, uh, the wrong choice, so they want to get some buy-in and some investment from, you know, and that's what I do, you know, as a married man, I do that all the time, you know. Do you, do you think we should? Do you think we do need like a, a couple of extra fans? Because you, you, I saw you were getting a bit warm. I want her to be invested in the decision rather than just, you know, nip to Curry's, get a couple of fans and then get yelled at. Why did you waste money on fans when the temperature's about to drop? So that's what that seems like that 
relationship is broken because there doesn't seem to be this kind of, you know, a pit wall to driver decisiveness. And and then when it comes to actually making the calls in, in quick time, again, they seem to to get them wrong. When those decisions are put under the microscope, there's gaslighting of like, no, 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 it definitely was the right decision or no, no, we meant to put on brand new waste, brand new soft tires when he was just towing signs around. No, that was always the plan. That was definitely the right thing to do. And we have always been at war with Eurasia. So th- the wheels just feel like they're coming off that tortoise, Antonia. Yeah, I think one thing that Ferrari are failing to do at the moment that they that other teams are doing is just striking the balance between being firm with their drivers in executing decisions and also taking on and considering driver feedback. And I think it's something that Mercedes, for example, do very well with Lewis. But I mean, you know, coming onto the drivers mid-race and going, uh, Charles, Charles, what do we do, Charles? I, come on. I mean... No, it, it was like asking him out on it. You know, it's like, oh, a bunch of us are like going to the beach later, but it's cool if you don't want to. I mean, you know, if you, yeah. I know you're busy, but maybe we could come and like hang out with a hamper. Yeah, it's, you know, again, it's there's a balance to be struck. There's a difference between saying, uh, Charles, how do these ties feel? How would you feel about moving to this strap? You know, but but they they're the ones that have all the data. What we don't see as fans watching the sport is that there's comms rooms that are going behind beyond the race. So Alpine, for example, they have their pit wall, but they also have a whole comms room back at the factory full of people that have the exact same data as they have on the pit wall that have every single piece of information as well as those on the pit wall. So there are about 30 odd people who have all this information to analyze, to consider for strategy and to put input in on. The drivers just have their experience and what they can see on the grid. They don't, if you're in 20th position, you don't know how Mm. the person in P2 is doing on the soft tires, you know? So to ask Charles for his input on a decision is completely fair enough. Mm. However, I think for Ferrari to come to him whilst he's racing and go, Charles, what do we do? I I don't think that was a good idea. It It sounded timid. I mean, Carl, it did sound timid. Question? Yes. Um, that's the exact thing. Um, there is a thing in management styles where you have um, parent-child relationships. That's it, and you need to get it sort of sorted. You need to know the thing, and they are not being the parent, as you say. They yeah. they are roughly as all. Oh, shall we have yes. peanut butter sandwiches for dinner tonight? Yeah, it's just no. Like you don't give you, toddlers choice. You don't yes. give toddlers choice. Well, you need to be decisive. And I remember when I was racing myself and in, in endurance things, I wanted the team to tell me need you to do this drive it like you stole it or preserve or fuel save just tell me the drivers don't know they don't see the bigger picture and as antonio said there's a whole team sitting there working and ferrari they've just lost this confidence they don't it seems like it's structure and it's really strange but this is nothing new this is this used to happen in the vettel ferrari era he used to often overrule them and i think they may be still a bit upset because well not upset but a bit scared or burnt because vettel often used to overrule them and get it right so yeah. now they're almost embarrassed of making the wrong decision and ask the drivers, and they're putting too much trust in the drivers. They need to be more decisive. And yeah, it's 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 it, it's not great, is it? Well, actually, I'm going to be well actually guy now. Actually, um, I disagree entirely, 100. What well, you think? They're brilliant. I, yeah, I think that with the unbelievably glaring exception of pitting him for of pitting Leclerc for fast lap at the end of the race. Oh God. <laughs> okay. With the glaring exception of that. I think Ferrari 
given the circumstances in which they found themselves, did a good job. And sure, there are times where it is appropriate to ask a driver for their opinion. Would you rather be on the hard tire or the medium tire? Because both of them will wind up, according to our strategy software, putting you in about the same place. And I think that's really just what we heard today. I think this is Ferrari turning over what might be the start of a new leaf, even though they are loath to let go of those mistakes, it would appear at the end of the race. I agree in principle. I think there's a way of going about it. Again, I think there's a way of asking for driver feedback that doesn't put them on the spot in the middle of a race and ask them to make a decision that will change the outcome of their race. You know, it's again, going back to like Lewis and Bono, Bono would often go to Lewis. Lewis, we're looking at going on to a hard, hard tired strategy from now on. What's, what's the conditions on the track from your perspective? What's your perspective of it? Rather than putting the entire thing in his hands. I just I I think there's a way of asking and a way of a way of managing that that isn't putting everything on Charles. Yeah, and yeah, that's so there's a limit. So fair enough, ask your driver a question, but there's a limit and you need to be yeah. decisive. So the one I think about before we had radios, but it was widely reported on afterwards, was the Ross Braun to Schumacher in 1998 in Hungary. Come on the radio, said, Michael, I need you to make 25 seconds in 19 laps. Can you do it? Michael just replies, yes. Okay, we're changing the strategy. That's it. So you need to ask Charles, can you do five more laps, four bananas? Yes. Okay, we're doing this. Not, we could do this or we could do this. What do you think? It's, mm. it's, it's get the information be decisive okay okay well it didn't look decisive when leclerc gambled for the fastest lap then they pitted him into alonso's grasp alonso overtook got him uh, they gained the place back then sped in the pits and then got a penalty that put them behind alonso and then didn't get the fastest lap i mean i mean i wish we should do the mistake breaks award now surely kyle yes <laughs> yes we should um and Amazingly, in all of this, Charles didn't want to do it. There's radio communication. He said, I don't think oh we should risk it this time. Yeah. I well. don't think we should risk it. This time. And now mm. this can add to the litany. I mean, Ferrari have had more ball drops this year than an all-male middle school. No. It's terrible. It is absolutely <laughs> awful. Uh, and this just adds to the list. I mean, come on. Well, why would you risk it in that scenario? It was really, really tight. And even their own driver said, don't do it. Okay. Antonia, I believe you had a point if you're recovered from that. (laughs) Moving on from that horribly graphic imagery. Um, Yeah, it was a watching through our fingers type moment, wasn't it, really? I just, I I fail to see the logic in it because, again, the team have all the data. They know how far behind Alonso is. They know the state Mm. that Charles' car is in in order to put that lap in. And in the end, he was about six tenths off of achieving it anyway. He wasn't even close. And for him to then get the speed penalty, I'm aware that a lot of people are saying, oh, well, that the penalty was on Charles. He was the one speeding. Yes. However, the team are the ones that put him in a position where he was under so much pressure. Now that we know, of course, that Mm. he was saying, no, I don't want to do this. I don't think we have time. He was in the mindset of thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to lose this place. I've got to go. I've got to go. That's why he's got the penalty for speeding because he was under so much pressure to make up a time gap and make up a lap that he was never going to get. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah, Ferrari have actually now blamed this Charles took it on himself and said it was me who got it wrong in the pits. But Ferrari have come out. I saw an Autosport article saying that it was because of the it was because of the tear off strip in their brake duct, which overheated their sensor. So their sensor was out of calibration, which is why they sped in the pits. But they managed to do it 
they made another pit stop since then. So this is what I don't understand. So they've kind of made up an excuse for this to try to cover up their own bad, bad strategy decision. Okay, a couple of things there. So the tear-off strip was apparently, and there's some pretty good footage of it, and there's a correlation of Verstappen saying, yeah, I I tore my visor strip off because of the dust, I assume, from Hamilton's car. And uh, I hope it, I think he even said, I hope it wasn't mine. But it, it seems very clear that that was his visor, Matt, that went into Leclerc's tear-off strip. And it's just like, if if the F1 gods just wanted to favour anyone any more than that. Well, I mean, I look at it like this. You know, there's always that circumstance. And if you were Christian Horner and you said, what do you need to win the race? And he would say, an early safety card and my nearest rival being, you know, Verstappen's nearest rival being disabled. Kind of like Ocon, if you'd asked Alpine last year, what does he need to win at Hungary? Well, we need all the top runners taken yeah. out in the first lap and but, him starting on the grid first. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm you on wouldn't it, expect on it, it <laughs> but you know. Yes. And that's kind of what Red Bull got here. I mean, Max tears his visor off, into the pits goes Leclerc, who was right behind yeah, him, yeah, yeah. potentially an opponent, someone to cause him trouble throughout the race. Instead, into the pits, starting dead last. Antonio. And no real chance of ever catching. I mean, that was it. Game mm. over for Ferrari. Now, all I'm saying is these drivers are athletes. They do a lot of training. And I'm sure Verstappen has very good aim. That's all I'll say. <laughs> oh. Do you think that's part of the... Tra- that's a good conspiracy. That's part of the driver training. They're in the wind tunnel. And they're like, now, Max, go. And he throws, <laughs> you know, throws a tear-off strip and sees where it hits behind. And they put flovies on the visor strip so they can see where it's hit. Yeah, I like that. And then cheekily, he's going, oh, I hope it wasn't mine. And and then I think we all would have caught uh, McLaren telling telling Lando it was time for Plan G or it was too Plan late G. for Plan G, massively trolling Ferrari's Plan A, B, C, D, E and F. That was just, yes, fantastic. I love that. But can we bring up something? Uh, yes. That they viciously, McLaren did, undercut Ricardo. He was ahead of Norris on merit. And they undercut him by two laps so that Norris would get ahead, which, okay, fine. If if anyone scores a point, you probably want it to be Norris because he's closer in the championship. But, man, talk about kicking a guy when he's down. Bit brutal. Yeah, and I kind of want to know what happened to McLaren in that sec- second, in that final stint because Ricardo was looking pretty decent all race. It was like, go on like finally you're, you're having a really good race and particularly it's quite sad seeing him talk about his time has not been good there and yeah they completely they undercut him but then both of them the pace it just seemed to fall away massively in that final stint so i, I don't have a clue what happened there uh, it looked like ricardo was going to score points and ended up quite far away from them uh, matt you were saying ferrari did some good stuff what what good stuff did they do Well, I'm going to say right off the bat, I think putting signs on the soft tire, even though it was a bold gamble, was clearly the right move. If you look at the way the start transpired, he got a clear gap to Alonso and Hamilton. And in fact, uh, had they not taken themselves out, again, I go with the character of the entire race would have changed because it would have been harder for Perez to get by, certainly Hamilton. And if Hamilton was stuck behind Alonso, Eventually, when Verstappen comes along, the three of them are more stuck. Mm. And I th- and the thing about starting on the soft tire, and we saw this at Hungary with, uh, with the Red Bulls, is by stopping first, you get the undercut. So the gap to Perez, I think, was it Perez? He came out behind uh, when Science first stopped. 
was was done by nearly three seconds. So by stopping first, they gave signs essentially double automatic undercut. But I think the safety car in the end undid that strategy, which is what you will be vulnerable to, because it brought the rest of the midfield into his way. So when he came out, he didn't come out into free air and bring the medium tire in the way he wanted to. He came out um, uh, for the first stop chasing Ricardo, and, and it may, and it probably wrecked his tires for that second stint. Yeah, on uh, lap 26, I think it was, they did a double stacked stop. Worked really well for Sainz, not so well for Leclerc. I do just think the timing of their stops sometimes isn't great. To be honest, though, I would say Leclerc just didn't have great luck today with the timing of, of stops and with traffic. You know, he obviously started from the back of the grid, so had a lot to work his way through. But I do think we can't pin it all on Ferrari. There was just some pretty bad luck, to be honest. And yeah. just the overall core performance of the car, Matt, was really poor today. They weren't the second best car. The second best car was Mercedes with George Russell today. Yeah. Oh, they, they, were, they, were pretty, they were, they were, they were, they, I think Ferrari was more on Mercedes level, but again, you know, let, let's see what we see at Zandvoort before I agree that Mercedes and Ferrari are equal and they're both that far behind Red Bull. But today, Kyle, before, yeah. and, you, and you know, you know what I'm doing here. I'm delaying getting to the whose fault is it segment. <laughs> you know what I'm doing. Uh, but, you know, Russell was out there representing Mercedes and I was looking at the lap times and the sex times and stint for stint, he seemed to really be matching and being and being faster than both Ferraris. Yeah. And, and Ferrari shouldn't be in that position. Look back to a few races ago. The relative pace has really sort of dropped off. So you... You may be able to get your tinfoil hat out and say the technical directive has hurt them more and they've had to make the plank changes. But but yeah, the relative pace seems to have dropped away a little bit. Now, this is never going to be one of their strong races. And as we've sort of said, Zandvoort is probably, if anywhere, Ferrari should be quickest is probably at Zandvoort. That, that, that should suit them more than Red Bull. But yeah, Russell should not be closing them in. And Russell actually said it was quite an interesting bit that he was closing science in and going really well until he made he had a couple of scruffy laps and dropped the tires out of the window, which means that yeah, the tires, they that Mercedes must be so precise in the tire range. We're talking two or three degrees. He must have gone wide, lost the temperature in the tires a little bit, and lost his ultimate window and couldn't close him down. Because if it wasn't for that, I think Russell was pretty confident of getting third. And Ferrari just should not be in that position if you look at the relative pace throughout the season. It was an interesting track for tires and temperatures, and there was a very clear window in which the medium tire worked, and then it went off very rapidly, more rapidly than Pirelli thought. Degradation, nobody had the degradation entirely right. But yeah, that Mercedes is a very, very temperamental car with its tires. Okay, so maybe this is a case of Ferrari going backwards into Mercedes than the Mercedes necessarily you know, making up that gap. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, 
information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Is this fair to say, Kyle, that yeah, Hamilton's had the race pace over the last half a dozen or so races? So you'd think that a Hamilton podium would have been on if he wasn't oh. callously wiped out by Alonso, as we'll get to in the next segment. <laughs> uh, definitely, yeah. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure Hamilton would have been third if it weren't for the first lap. I mean barring the results, I mean, disregard the results, I think Hamilton's had the stronger race pace all season over both of them. It's just yeah. circumstance and whatnot and safety cars have just sort of kept him behind in the actual results. But yeah, if Hamilton was in the race today, and particularly the last five races, we've really seen Hamilton's yeah. stronger race pace. It's not been much, but it's been enough. And, you know, Russell was only about a second or two behind sight. So if Hamilton yeah. in the car, I think they would have been a Mercedes podium today. All right. So we've got to talk about Lewis Hamilton, have we? Whew, there's a button for that. Whose fault is it? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so lap one, (laughs) Fernando Alonso is lining up third. Lewis Hamilton lining up fourth. They get down the the end of the Camel straight and two become one. And there is a collision. Hamilton round the outside. To me, for my money, I think Lewis Hamilton thought he had the move done. And this is what I was talking about earlier when... Uh, we were uh, answering uh, hang on whose email were we answering there when we were answering Ernst's email about Verstappen just cruising through the the field and no one fighting him that used to happen to Lewis Hamilton not only does that not happen now because people fancy their chances against a Mercedes but it also definitely isn't going to happen against a Fernando Alonso who is starting third so he's going to have to fight for for every place and he might not be used to that is a, is a sort of broad point that, that sticks into my head. But let's start with you, Kyle Fine. Whose fault was that incident? 
<laughs> that was 125% Lewis Hamilton's fault. Boo! There was zero, zero, as much as I hate to say it, there was zero fault at all on on Alonso. Hamilton, now I can see why Hamilton may have thought he was clear, but even if he did think he was clear, why would you cut it on the inside that much anyway? You would always naturally leave a bit, go around the outside. Like he wouldn't have lost anything by going around the outside. It's lap one. Everyone behind is scrapping. He needlessly squeezed. It was just a, it was a bit of a baffling and a complete nonsensical move to cut that tight to the inside. I mean, if that would have happened to us on the sim, we would have been furious, absolutely furious if somebody would have done that to us because it was just so silly. So Alonso couldn't back out. Now, why I think Hamilton actually did think he may have been clear is when he braked, there was a massive overspeed initially. Alonso would have disappeared quickly into his into his blind spot. But again, Lewis Hamilton, it's Lewis Hamilton. Like, it's, why would you even cut it? I just don't know. I think he just had complete brain fade in that moment, personally. So 100% Lewis, zero on Alonso. Antonio. Exactly. Like you said, Carl, he's Lewis Hamilton. He has all of these years and years of race experience. He knows the parameters of his car. He knows, he knows the track, how wide the track is. He's been to Spa a billion times, you know? I just, I don't see how he would have executed that unless he thought, oh, Alonso must back off. He's going to back off. And then he didn't. And I don't know why he would expect Alonso to, because again, he knows Alonso. I think it was just a moment of, oh, I'm there enough. He probably will back off or I reckon he'll back off. And then Alonso didn't. And yeah, of course, Lewis was at fault. I think 100% Lewis was at fault because Alonso could have backed off. And I'm sure some, some other drivers would have. But he was completely within his rights not to and to hold his ground because he deserved the space on track. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The tide is turning here against you, Carl. You went for 125%. Antonio's brought it down to 100%. We're making progress, Matt. <laughs> well, it, to me, this is the most classic of misjudgments a racing driver can make. And that is simply not getting right where your rival will be as you go into a turn. And I really wanted it to be Alonzo just cheekily keeping his nose in just to be provocative, you know, get a little contact, get a five second penalty on Lewis. But you know what? Like when I saw the replay, I'm like, no, no, he was just fully alongside. Lewis turned in the right rear left front launched him and you know, the strategic plan to break Lewis's car and spray Alonzo with hydraulic fluid really didn't work out the way they planned. No. Because no, no. Alonzo carried on. It was, <laughs> it didn't. was, it was such a tight squeeze. Like it was such a tight squeeze. Um, we were comparing this earlier to the Perez squeeze on George Russell at the Red Bull ring. And then Russell was deemed to have sort of understeered a little bit into him. And I, I didn't agree with that. I thought the Perez squeeze was quite severe. He could have left more, more room. And in that case, it was like downhill as well. Um, and that is a corner where notoriously you go around the outside and you, and you end up, you know, you end up having a car kind of understeer downhill into you. Um, but I think once they're side by side in this situation, the squeeze was so tight. Alonso couldn't do anything once Hamilton was in. To avoid it, he would have had to have gone inside onto the grass. However, however, and I think I might have to go back to Cole for this, however, 2021 Hamilton Mercedes and any other Alpine in that situation, they would look at that and go, ah, it's, it's done. So you do have the choice of the driver. Once Lewis had, had sort of got the overspeed on the braking, you do have the choice to go, well, I'll drag the brakes, I'll slot in behind. Fernando Alonso was fighting that position 
and fighting it hard and fairly and aggressively. But Lewis Hamilton made the mistake and squeezed him too hard once they decided to do that. But I think the fact that um, that Alonso wasn't like being compliant, he was fighting it, and that was the outcome. I think that's why there was no penalty specifically. That I'm not saying it's not Hamilton's fault. I'm saying the reason there was no penalty was because Alonso consented to that battle. Kind of, but I'm kind of going to go against what you sort of said and slightly what Antonio said. I don't think Alonso could have backed out. I don't think he had a choice to back out. I think they were both committed to the corner already and Barr slamming his brakes on harder, which meant he would have locked up both fronts and skittled into Lewis anyway. I don't think Alonso really could have done anything about that. And I think if the exact same scenario played out again and both drivers are in the same position and Hamilton turns in, the exact same thing would happen. I genuinely Mm. don't think that Alonso could have done anything. And this is why... I'm so surprised Lewis put Alonso into that position because he kind of knew what was going to happen. I just, I actually think he just, he just zoned out a bit. Didn't think it was yeah. that one of the race and just, and just zoned out. And I, I honestly, I think, I honestly think he just thought, you know, I'm Lewis Hamilton in a Mercedes that they're going to back off. Uh, but also like if he'd have taken a, a bit of a wider line, he probably still would have held uh, against Alonso. I don't think it was, you know, it wasn't that desperate at that point, Matt. Oh, sorry. Go on. Antonio then Matt. No, it's, it was a lap one incident. I mean, I, and I do think that contributes probably to why the stewards didn't take any action, aside yes. from the fact that Lewis punished himself by having to retire. Yes, self-policing. But, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Mm. You know, if it was his fault and he's the one who paid the price. So that's a, that's an element. But I do just think it's lap one. What is at stake other than a position that you have oh, no. got a lot of time to regain? You know, a risky move like that in the first lap of the race is just not necessary. And it's not Monaco. It, but... It's not Monaco, is it? It's like well... <laughs> one of the, the easiest tracks to overtake on. Matt? I'm going to come to Lewis's defense a tiny bit here. That was not intentional. No, not he at all. He was not, not trying to no. squeeze Alonso in the slightest. He thought his speed would put him beyond the point that would cause Alonso to simply back out a little bit and follow him through the second half of that turn. He was very wrong about that, but I never saw any intent. I did not pick up any intent of Hamilton. Like I'm going to take Alonso to the edge of the track to make sure I get this place. Genuine question. Probably, probably for you, Kyle, if that was George Russell on the outside and he had the slipstream and you could see he had more speed and probably a better performing car. Do you think Alonso sees that a lot earlier and gives that position up? You can't deny there's a little bit of needle in Alonso's brain. Oh, there's definitely needle. Just look at his radio message afterwards. It was, mm. it was, it was a salt covered knife, wasn't it? Basically, yeah. <laughs> going in, yeah, um, yeah, it was savage and quite unnecessary, really. But heat of the moment and whatnot. But um, no, because the Lewis actually caught him, got alongside, and just managed to get ahead exactly into the braking zone. It all happened quite late. Now, if that move and Lewis would have been alongside and got up just ahead of him about twenty meters earlier then yes, I think Alonso probably would have backed out. The fact that it all happened so late and they were already mm. committing into the braking zone, and he was on, which and the, is why... Yeah, yeah it, sorry, and, and the fact that Hamilton was on the outside. If Hamilton had been able to get yeah. inside, I think maybe Alonso would have backed out more. Oh, definitely. But yeah. um, if it was a different driver, I think the exact same thing would have happened. I no, think it's just I don't one of those agree. scenarios. Hard disagree. Hard disagree. And that's why I say 95% Hamilton. But I do think Alonso consented to that battle and and but and look like like Antonio says it was self policing like Verstappen at Silverstone you know you do that squeeze and and often you'll come off worse so yes okay agreed with that I don't want to berate Alonso as much as a lot of people are for that radio message 
because like you really have like a the sort of heart pumping thing that you've just launched a driver into the air cannot feel nice and there's there's a big part of you that wants to go i just need everybody to know that i like wasn't deliberately launching that driver into the air and you know it is really kind of heat at the moment and he did seem very genuinely like sheepish about it matt afterwards in the press conference sorry go on then antonio yeah no i to be honest yeah it was again obviously a very clearly a mistake and once you've Mm. got a driver clip you and go flying you're going to be a bit you know sweaty about it however we need to remember these radio messages are heard by everyone including the race directors including all of the stewards so you know it's kind of like when when verstappen says oh you know like we're losing time here. It, that's his coded way of saying, let me pass Checo. Same kind of thing after an incident with a message like Alonso's then, it was just as much for the stewards to let the stewards know that wasn't my fault. Please look at this. You know, it's it's a, a flag raising kind of thing to say. And again, I think it's heat at the moment. I don't think we can say that he's being nasty at all. It's just frustration, shock, yeah. and letting the stewards know like, hey, that wasn't me. Thing is... If you don't push the radio button, only your helmet hears that message. <laughs> so, yeah, if you want a tactical message. I, I think the reason, I, half the reason I can't judge it, Alonso, is because in my own iRacing to- tournament, where we're all in a Discord channel, I self-ban myself now into a private channel. And I can only speak on the official channel because as soon as something goes wrong, I think like my instinct is, because I live in a, like, quite a toxic household, and a toxic marriage, like instantly I'm like, well, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. You know, I've got to assign blame straight away. And just that instant reaction, it's almost like in race, you should press the radio button. Like if there's been any kind of contact on your car, it, it like you'll get a little, are you sure you want to press the radio button, Fernando kind of thing going on? You know, like, anyway, uh, yeah, I don't want to judge him too harshly on that. But what I do want to do is have a little Lewis Hamilton fanboy moment and go, Lewis Hamilton made a mistake. He took a long walk back. He did the interviews and he said, what did you think of that incident? I made a mistake. My bad. Sorry to the team. I've let everyone down. You know, put his hand up. That is solid. And we don't hear that a great deal from drivers. It's brilliant. And I hope that sets an example to young drivers out there as well. And and um, and <laughs> older iRacers as well. Absolutely. And it's really good. And this is something that despite all of the criticism online and a load of people criticize Lewis for blaming other people and crying, he has been one of the drivers throughout his entire career who is always the first to hold his hands up when he is to blame and always say, um, you know, in, back in 2016 with his bad starts against Rosberg, he holds his hand up. He's like, sorry, guys, it's my fault. You know, I made bad starts. He has always held his hand up and admitted faults. Unlike most other drivers. I mean, I don't think I ever heard Kimi Räikkönen, for instance, ever admit a mistake. It was always, well, it just happens. Mm-hmm. Never. Sorry. I made a mistake. So fair play, Lewis, for holding your hands up. I was kind of hoping he was going to do that in the interview. So I was happy. So big thumbs up for that. Okay, um, good. I think that's all on that incident. We do we do have another one. We have another whose fault is it? Oh, my goodness. This one was terrible. Latifi wiping out Bottas and just... like Okay, I don't know fully what it's like to drive a Formula One car, but that looked a little bit shopping trolley, didn't it? It just looked like your shopping trolley wandered into the bacon aisle and then he ended up on the gravel and then just pirouetted. And poor Bottas. Like, if Bottas had kept a straight line probably misses Latifi but at every single point I think Bottas is going I'm just going to move left he'll stop well if I move a little bit more left he'll he's not going to come all the way across surely and yeah poor Valtteri poor Valtteri Kyle and uh typically and annoyingly 
um, Latifi just donutted and carried on in his merry way unscathed <laughs> and left Bottas perched in the gravel. Yeah, it, it, you're right. Though. It was just like there was a gust of wind and he was gone, <laughs> like off he spun. I, I, I struggle with some of Latifi's incidents because they do somehow just seem to be like self-fabricated from nowhere. I mean, no one clipped him. It wasn't in a particularly difficult area of the track. And of course, like you said, he just drove away, got his new front wing and carried on with his race. And poor Bottas on his birthday. Is it his birthday? Happy birthday, Valtteri Bottas. No. DNF, get out. You know, like poor guy. (laughs) It was a present. Latifi sent Bottas (laughs) to the beach for his birthday early so he didn't have to finish the race. Oh, Bottas, like, why didn't he come on the radio and just go, worst birthday ever? That would have been, that would have been spectacular. Uh, all right, then. Okay, cool. Well, we're getting towards the, the back end of the show, uh, Matt. But uh, as we get into the midfield, I feel like, you know, you and I argue about Ocon quite, quite a bit. It stemmed from the Ocon Perez days yeah. at, the, at the Force India. And mm-hmm. um, I have to say, I do think, I think you overrate him. In general, but he had a blinder you can today. Be wrong about that. <laughs> he had a blinder today. He looked he looked spectacular, and he's he's he was bubbling afterwards. Uh, hard actually not to be uh, 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 an Ocon fan tourist, a tourist Ocon fan today. It's not all bad to be in Camp Ocon, especially today when he had two double overtakes, one into the bus stop and one into turn five. Um. But also out-qualified Alonso. I mean, he did have the new he did have the new stuff in his car, so I'll give that to Alonso for sure. But a couple of interesting observations from me. One, Alonso and Ocon helped each other out in qualifying. So got to hand it to the both of them and the team being very professional in what's probably a bit of an awkward situation. <laughs> Say that again. Yeah, just slightly. <laughs> um. But mostly what I want to say is that in a, in a strange kind of way, I feel like this was the statement he needed to make today to the team now that he knows Alonzo is not coming back. And I caught an, a, a post-race interview where he said, this is the best car I've had all season. And one of his complaints with the team, and I say complaints just in terms, not in terms of complaints, but in terms of his problem has been a car that feels inconsistent to him. When, it, when it's right, it works. And when it's not, he struggles. And today, for whatever reason, everything came together. If he can continue to get his team, tell them what they need to know to give him that, then I think you see the kind of Ocon that everybody else saw when he was supposed to be replacing Botas at Mercedes. You are completely right. Now, if ever, is the time for Ocon to assert himself as the future lead driver of Alpine as the primary driver, because now that Alonso is leaving, now is his time to step up to the to the mark and say, look, here's your reminder in case you forgot, I'm actually pretty good. You know, he's an ex-Mercedes reserve driver. He was in the lead up to replace to be in Mercedes and he is a talented driver he you know he's not there just for, from sponsorship money he's there on his talent and he has shown it multiple times I do think mm. that people are way too harsh on him I span stop shaking your head he's too tall he's too he tall is, well the, uh, people say that about George as well yeah and they're right equally talented driver I'm sensing some short man syndrome but no mm. I think Orcon is 
a very talented driver and I I do think people give him a bit of stick because the car hasn't always been there for him. Kyle. Uh yeah, so I've 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 not been an Ocon critic as such, but I have felt he has been underwhelming at times and Alonso does seem to have the better of him on race pace, but this was this race certainly not. Mm. Ocon definitely seemed to have the better race pace and the better race and two absolutely delightful double overtakes. One going into um, one going into Lecoum, but the first one was Blanchimon out Blanchimon going into the bus stop. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah, that yeah. that was an absolutely brilliant and a perfectly executed double there, overtake. There he is, must have been grinning from ear to ear. There, there's nothing more satisfying than two two uh, vehicles battling in front of you, and then you're yeah. the car that kind of benefits, crawls up, and then boxes one in. That is so satisfying. You know, you've got like the second of the two in front of you, like swarming all over the back, trying to find a gap. And then you are able to get an advantage and just box them in. And I don't know who the car to the right was, but he ended up just being like, you can't go anywhere, mate. And then he got the overtake on the outside. Yeah, it was Ricardo, I think. And he actually played that really, really well because he gave him a little bit of space because Ricardo obviously is not really going to be paying attention to who's on his left hand side or who's coming up. So actually... Ocon gave him a tiny bit of space. Ricardo was just about to swing out, then noticed Ocon. If Ocon had to go, went for the true block, they probably would have clashed wheels. So he played it very cleverly. That was a, what they call an Alonso thing. That was a thousand IQ move or whatever the Twitterists say. And I would say the same thing for when he passed Gasly and Vettel. He backed off, trailed Gasly down, took the double slipstream, passed the both so of them cool. into turn five and just, oh, it was sweet. But, I want to make the point, Kyle mentioned race pace. Ocon started P16, finished P7, but only three and a half seconds behind Alonso, who started third. Okay. Um, that move down the Camel Strait, obviously everyone was uh, comparing it to the Hakkinen, Schumacher, Zonta move. It definitely had shades of that, except Vettel wasn't being lapped. Some really, really, really compliant driving there that might not have happened in other situations. Vettel was moving all the way over to the left, could quite rightly have just moved over so there was 0.99 of a car width to the left, didn't, which is what let Ocon down the inside. But Vettel does that. He maybe keeps one of those those places. Very fair to just to hold his line. They were getting to the braking zone. The other one, though, which I think is interesting, is that Ocon had the slight advantage going into the going into Lecoum. Is that the one at the end of the Camel Strait? Same line as Hamilton. I'll just say, same line as Hamilton, but but Gasly saw it early and backed off. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just saying, I'm not drawing any conclusions. I'm just saying that was a much more polite exchange in general. All right, good. Are you finished uh, adoring Ocon yet, Matt? Um... Yeah, I think no, I got in no, all the. Continue. I think I got in all the important bits. Yeah. Are we going to talk about the other amazing midfield story? Yes, please. I know it. Tell me it. Damn it. That would be the defensive drive of one Alexander Albon. The last twenty laps of the race, no DRS, six cars chasing him in a Williams, no less, that qualified six amazingly, and no one could get by him. That was a stunning, stunning drive from Alex Albon in a car that everyone would admit really didn't have the pace to finish 10th. 
Yes, Alexander the Great, indeed. What a fantastic defensive drive from him. I mean, he really showed his colours today. And frankly, he hasn't really had the opportunity to do so the rest of the season, unfortunately. But he made that car the width of the track and drove intelligently. I think that I think that's the right word. He, he just drove smart. You know, it's not the fastest car on the grid. However, it's blimming fast in a straight line. And that means that on the DRS straights, the other cars haven't got a lot on him. So as long as he's putting the car in the right position around the corners and on the, on the more twisty, windy parts of track, then he's golden. Absolutely. And it was exactly that. He was, he was making the most of his straight line speed, yeah. of his straight line speed. Um, and he, he absolutely played it very, very cleverly in that what I think he was doing. He was hanging on for dear life during the middle sector, not using any of his sort of overtake button or battery deployment and basically spamming it coming out of La Source all the <laughs> way up to the DRS zone. Yeah. Because um and then also using a little bit coming out of Stavolo because where I thought he may have been a little bit vulnerable was into the bus stop chicane. There's but there's no DRS zone there. So and he is so and he has enough straight line speed that they couldn't get anywhere near him. Oh, so yeah. he just so he could just deploy all of his ERS essentially from the source up to the coom. So quickly Matt and then Antonia let me well, that just reinforces Antonio's point that it's such intelligent driving to pick the correct side going into the bus stop. Because, uh, I mean, we saw, you remember when the restart signs locked up into the bus stop, Perez uh, had to almost break to avoid him. And then the acceleration out of the bus stop gave signs the gap that Perez couldn't close down the Kemmel straight. And essentially he did that for 20 laps with no ability to really lock the car up. It was stunning. Yeah, going back to what Kyle said, it's about knowledge of the circuit. And it's knowing that if you've got a great launch coming out of La Source, then you're going to be going full throttle in the exact right position through La Rouge, round Radion and up onto the Kemmel straight where you've got the DRS, you can defend well. It's all about the launch. Those first three corners of the track are the most important. And then obviously on the circle background to the bus, the bus stop chicane, also you have to nail that. But if you nail La Source, you are golden for at least the lo- the next three quarters or so of the track. It's so vital. Okay, look, I just I need to interject here and defend every Derek uh, Williams because Williams did not do well out of that conversation to start with. Albon he qualified in such and such in place and he defended from such and such a people in a Williams for goodness sake. I ju- I just feel like I need to defend Williams a little bit and I'm going back to like historical eighties little spanners williams fanboy here but the williams car has not had like a, the full show the, the top end management has made driver decisions for the best part of a decade now which i don't think have given the williams engineers and that car the best possible way to show themselves off sorokin and stroll for for ages and then you know blessing robert kubitzer in there in not his his best state and then uh and then calling George Russell Mr. Saturday for being able to out-qualify Latifi. And now Alex Albon is Mr. Saturday. And I don't think Alex Albon is top tier in Formula One. And I don't think George Russell was in his finished form while he was at Williams. So I just want to defend in a Williams car, of, of all things, in a Williams shed. I just want to say that they need to change the policy, and I hope they will. They're going for top talent, get top drivers in there, and really start developing properly with with you know two solid talented drivers i finished matt i finished ranting go on i hope so but i I want i want to sprinkle a little praise on williams 
Because while it was clear that they have not solved their degradation issues so much tire-wise, I mean, they were lucky they had the straight line speed today. And Mm -hmm. I will say they put Albon on to mediums. He got them to the end of the race at his second stop, which surprised me when I saw it. What really struck me was that in a cold qualifying, Alex Albon got his tires into the window in one lap, and I think that is a huge victory for Williams, who have not really been able to do that before. Yeah, I agree. And I think that might have been part and parcel of their um, their very, very skinny downforce setup they were running. So he was essentially on his outlap, sliding the car around, generating lots of lovely surface temperature in the tires, which then migrates into the carcass of the tire. So, um, yeah, and with Williams, we only kind of say in the shed of the Williams because it's just on recent times. It's like you know, the last four or five years, they've been pretty much nailed to the back of the grid, and it's sad to see. So, like Spanners, I hope to see them come come forth. Yeah, and what uh, they need they and need, do really well. They need seasoned drivers. So Albon mm. should be their up and coming person, and they should have a like a, a solid, I don't know, you know, like a Ricardo. That that would be you know, take the team yeah. forward, make it your own, grab it by the scruff of the neck, Matt. Yeah, or take Logan Sargent and give him a year while you're developing to really get used to Formula One because he's American and hey, that's the market I hear. Bias. Mm-hmm. But well, I'm really looking forward to see how they do at Monza because they've got a great low downforce package and they have rocket ship in a straight line, which also throws yeah. shade on the theories that the Mercedes engine is really struggling because they were the fastest through the speed traps all weekend. Yeah, just going back to to Logan Sargent, like it would be really nice actually to see, for starters, just an American driver. It would be great to have one in the sport because there aren't any. And now that we're starting to cater towards an American or just generally speaking, a global audience that's not very Eurocentric, it would be nice to have an American driver that represents, yeah. you know, for the American races. Exactly. And, and like the only reason I have Matt on Missed Apex is because he sounds like he's off the telly. So when he speaks, yep. I'm like, oh, it's like a movie person right here with me in the shed. So, yeah, we could turn <laughs> Formula One into the movies by having an American. All right. Uh, are we done with Williams yet? Anyone need to put up a stark defence of the Williams management? No. Okay. In that case, I think it's time that we sort of... No, Matt. No. Go on. Go for it. No, no. It was a minor technical point and I was restraining myself. Unrestrain. Unleash. Make yourself free like a cloud floating in an F1 podcasting sky. I'm going to watch your face fall as I start to mention Mercedes, because when I talked to Summers, he mentioned the high drag of Mercedes was due to their lack of a side pods and those rear tires being exposed directly to the airflow. None of all the other teams have side pods to manage the wake hitting Mm. those rear tires. But one of the reasons you see Mercedes with these slow times is because that setup is high drag because they have a real hard time managing the air hitting those hitting the rear tires. Williams is the direct opposite of that. If Mercedes had gone a different direction, who knows what we'd be seeing right now. Yeah, the actual bodywork of the Mercedes really eludes me, especially given the new regulations with aerodynamics, the way that air is directed around the car. I mean, the entire new purpose of the aerodynamic regulations for 22 was that as much air as possible is directed towards the rear wing. Therefore, the rear tyres are going to be getting a lot of the blunt force of the air. So surely, like like you said, surely they should be protecting those tyres with the side pods. You know, those huge, big, fat side pods that Ferrari have got on them. They look a bit funny, but they do the job. And all of that air is directed towards the rear wing because at the moment it is hitting those tyres like a brick wall. Oh, remember when Mercedes came 
you know, came out and presented the no side pod solution. It looked so good. It really did look like a, what is it, a thousand IQ, Carl? It looked like a, a thousand IQ. That's what a Twitter say. What's it? But do you remember, I think it was like 2013 or 2014, you know, McLaren came out with like a rear wing that was like a sail. Do you remember it had uh, all the rear That was the suspension, the blockers. Yeah, The yeah, suspension like blockers. blockers, that but was like, it. Yeah. It looked like a parachute. So, And they yeah. quickly discarded that. And then, you know, Lotus with their asymmetrical twin tusks. So sometimes you bring the car out and go, no one else has got this. And it's either because you're a genius or because like, there's a good reason. Like you need side pods for the reasons that Antonia just uh, just just dished out there. All right. I think we can uh, move on to the podium. Is the season over? Before we get to our awards, I would just like to ask our panelists to quickly answer whether they think it's game over for the 2022 championship. Kyle, is it game over? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> resoundingly so. Sorry, yeah. but um, uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I no. cannot see how just for future Red Bull are going to lose it. You're, you're meant to be like, well, you're really asking seven questions, Spanners, uh, and the nuance of the thing of the what's it? But I'll accept. Yeah, um, the slight nuance is we're all doomed. No, um, right, no, it's it's yeah. I'm sorry, I'm a realist. I <laughs> I I think it's over. It, Antonia, whilst I I don't think it's easily challenged that Red Bull are very much running away with this championship. I think the season's far from over. I, I think we'd be so reductionist to say that all that matters in F1 is who wins the championship. Oh, good point. But, but There's is the, so it, many intricacies. <laughs> but is the championship over? A little bit. <laughs> God bless you. You tried. You, you absolutely, that was a great effort. Matt, two rumpets. Is it game over? Well, you know, I like numbers. And by the numbers, no, it's not over yet. But. Mm. it's i mean it's a hundred point lead what are we talking about Jeez. three four no finishes for verstappen with leclerc winning to tie things back up it's exceedingly most unlikely highly improbably mm. pretty much done I, I can't remember a gap this big this early for a long time because even in 2013 for a long for like seven or eight races mercedes looked like they were in it and and then the, the the Silverstone and the tire stuff and and then they dominated, but they dominated the back end. Is it Schumacher Kyle? Until we Schumacher two thousand and two, I believe, was one of the most dominant seasons in history, and he had it wrapped up by the French Grand Prix, I believe. Yeah, or was it two thousand and four? But yeah, it was one it was of those. July. It was like five, it was July. Six, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was July, and also Nigel Mansell in ninety two. It's definitely got those vibes. Yeah, big red five, Nigel Mansell, but. This didn't have to be like this, Ferrari. It didn't have to be like this. It could so easily be so close right now. And even with Red Bull in the ascendancy, Ferrari could still be right there. We've been robbed. I I, I will say this emphatically because we could have had such a fantastic, even even a three-way battle with yeah. if Mercedes were up there, it could have, oh, it could have been so good. We could have had <laughs> Hamilton's revenge. We could have had Charles sneaking up from behind. We could have had the season to end <sighs> all seasons. Yeah. And instead we've just got a season but, yeah, but and you, it's so sad. But like, yeah, you can't fault, fault Red Bull. I've said all season, Red Bull have been phenomenal and, and, and Verstappen has barely put a tyre wrong, Kyle. 
But the two main protagonists had a chance. I think Mercedes more in the design phase and Ferrari on track had a chance to make much more of a fight of this. Absolutely. You know, this is not Red Bull's fault. They've absolutely nailed it and knocked it out of the park. Mercedes have dropped the ball and so have Ferrari. Um, But the thing that makes this a bit more painful is we're still getting some good races, but at least when we're in the Mercedes domination, we had the two teammates there's that that, going for it and before ferrari came in around about 2017 and were competitive again ish like we don't have that now so we've just got a runaway leader and we have another runaway leader so that's that's the annoying thing we're still getting good races individually though but yeah yeah i haven't had this feeling watching formula one since 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 the mid-noughties well i think no i mean you can go back and you go well hamilton in uh, 2019 2020 he he got he, he really you know he dominated bottas and they had a huge car advantage there and then you can go back to 2013 2011 where um yeah 2011 Vettel just disappeared didn't he so there, there have been those seasons and these seasons do happen in Formula One and and frankly Mercedes Matt with um with letting Rosberg and Hamilton just battle it like that giving themselves heart attacks week in week out it was fun for us but you know that could so easily have been just letting favoring one driver and it could be like yeah this. I'm glad they did I still I still have fond memories of the race at Barcelona where the engineers were spying on the other side of the garages, Urs used and shouting instructions to their drivers <laughs> as they were fighting for position. It was just amazing to watch that unfold. We're not going to see that so much at Red Bull, but I want to make the point. It's not the regulations. It's Ferrari. Yes. And yeah, it's yeah, Mercedes. Yeah. They dropped the ball. Yeah. This should have been a three-way fight. Yes, that's my point. The fact point. that my it's point. not is not on the FIA's regulations. True. Good point to make. Kyle? Yeah. And also, we are individually getting quite good races. I've enjoyed just about every single race that's this true. season and yeah. the new regs and stuff like that. So it's not a complete disaster. And yeah, no. runaway, as you saw before, we're still getting exciting races. 2013, we had good races despite mm. Vettel dominating. You just had to ignore that Vettel was 20 seconds yeah. <laughs> down the road. Uh, sorry, Antonia. I will say like along those lines, and I, I do think the sport's headed in a really exciting direction as well. Yeah. Going back to the Rosberg-Hamilton battle, depending on how this season goes and next season goes with Hamilton's contract, obviously he's due to end his contract at the end of next season. We could have a really great battle between him and George. I I would be surprised to see it, bearing in mind it's a German team. They're both British. I think the logistics might be a bit tacky, but I really like the direction Mm -hmm. the sport's headed in. And I think we've got such an exciting few years of racing ahead of us. Of course, there's going to be teething problems this year. It's a huge change in the regulations and there's going to be some teams that either completely nail it or completely fail it. You know, it's, it's a shame, but it happens. And I think as development progresses and as teams kind of get to grips with things, the next few years, especially heading towards 26 with the engine regs, with Audi and Porsche joining, Mm -hmm. we've got so much to look forward to. Oh, Well, that's a nice optimistic note to go into our awards with. So we do an award where we're all super positive, like Antonia just was. And as soon as I can find the button, I oh, there it is. There we go. Thing of the weekend. Oh, Kyle, my own human version of a bearded dragon. Look at you with your <laughs> wizard beard and your new grown-up sensible haircut. You no longer look like a prophet from long, long ago. You look like a, uh, you know, a upstart engineering executive, which you are. Executive, I'll take I, that. I think that's Thank where you. you're headed. I think that's where we're going. You know, <laughs> yes, you did the shop floor with your big laser. 
now you're commanding troops in the workshop. Uh, before long, you'll be in the corner office commanding, a, you know, an executive captain of industry salary, I'm sure. I'm pushing paper now. I'm a boring, yeah. boring office boy. That's where the dollar is, though, Carl. That's where the dollar is. Uh, but you I also, wish. you also are quite. You're quite aggressive on Twitter. Like you're more aggressive what? on Twitter than in real life. For someone who never wanted to be on social media, all your tweets are just like the world's going to burn, and it's Derek's fault. So follow oh. follow Kyle at Kyle Power F1 on Twitter. I try to. I try. Yeah, I try not to tweet before midday. They tend to be. <laughs> Aggressive and nasty. That's like Matt. It's like Matt. I think Matt sometimes go, wants to join shows that I'm, you know, doing in the US morning. I'm like, no, I don't like morning trumpets. We'll we'll delay the show until you've had your your coffee. <laughs> Kyle, <laughs> what, who, or whom, or where, or when is your thing of the weekend? I'm gonna take the obvious one. Sorry to everyone else because I'm struggling to think of another one. Um, and that is. We're going to get one more year of spa. They're not going to do the preposterous and drop spa off the calendar. So I'm sorry for the others, <laughs> but can I just caveat that with, I'm not going to praise F1 for doing this because it's ridiculous to do it in the first place. So well yes. done for not doing something totally ridiculous. And, and isn't it only because the South African Grand Prix fell through? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like half credit, maybe. Yeah. Good. Half half a kudos. Uh, let's go. Where are we next? Let's go to let's go to Matt Two Rumpets, um, who I get to hang out with at the weekend. So I'm very, very excited. We always yeah, have we always fun. have a lovely time and I always remember everything up to about half past ten when we hang and out. And then who knows? Yeah. It, yeah, it's exactly. all a blur. <laughs> so you're coming karting with us uh, at Buckmore Park. Um you 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 were uh, very much a an amateur Carter, you'd never carted before. You came to Correct. England to do the Miss Apex tournament. So I want to see you midfield, mid-pack. Um, it's all going to be on video, by the way, this Miss Apex karting event. You will see commentary from Chris Stevens and Chris Catman-Turner and maybe me. And I would like you to commentate on a race as well, Matt, this weekend. Yeah, well, we all need a laugh, don't we? <laughs> yeah, because look, we've got an American announcer and you'll be like, oh, he's going down the straightaway into a wreck. And then we'll have to like put subtitles, like, no, on the straight. And he's had a crash. Yes, mm. something like that. But uh, it, it'll be fun. I, I look forward to it. I, 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 I was never a dream commentator. I think that was Stevens automatically just, and I good. should say professional Formula E, voice of London, e pre Chris Stevens will be commentating. At Don't be surprised if you see Chris Stevens pop up on a, a single seat of feed near you soon anyway Indeed. you can be followed at mattpt55 on twitter and on instagram and uh, facebook search for matt trumpets and yep. you post pictures of you with your trumpet like you're very on brand yeah yes well yeah. the trumpets me that's what i do when i don't do this so mm. yeah okay and when you do do this who would you give your thing of the weekend to oh you remembered to ask me. yeah uh, you have to think uh, about the, because like the answer is, for is, me on is brand is so obvious is he french yeah, it's, but then I'm like, no one said Max yet. And I feel like Max deserves it too, because I'm like, wow, what a drive. Mm. Anyway, but yes, I'm going to go for Alcon. I'm going to go for those <laughs> double overtakes. I'm going to go for finishing three and a half seconds off your teammate after starting in position 16. It was a great weekend for him. And I think the most exciting overtakes of the race in my yes, defense. So true. yeah, there you go. Brilliant. My thing. Go and follow my friend Matt at MattPT55. All the links that we talk about, by the way, are all in the show notes below uh we have antonio rankin all right rankers is that the nickname Ooh. you would go by on the 
hockey pitch. I don't know. <laughs> Not voluntarily. No. <laughs> Rank- Rankers! I'm on the left. Pass it over, Rankers! Ranko. Maybe Ranko. You don't know. We'll work on oh, it. Yeah. We'll work on it. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you liked either of those. I'm sensing... We'll, we'll do we'll do some penciling and some trying uh, okay. out. Okay, yeah, we'll yeah. yeah we'll make it a Zoom call. Um, <laughs> well, uh, your TikTok is going absolutely fantastic. I've noticed a change in your TikTok. Um, TikTok's baffling to old people like us, but there was a lot of like there's trends and memes and people like do a thing like there's a sound or a funny thing and then you apply it to your certain niche. I have noticed though more and more you're doing a lot more of like, hey guys, here's me explaining a thing and you explain it really well really enjoying your tiktok channel yeah thank you i've um i've had a lot of positive feedback from um kind of breaking down the tech stuff that's horrible and wordy and difficult to understand boring but yeah in in want of a better term yeah i mean especially these fio press releases are just so wordy so i quite like kind of getting into the nitty-gritty of those breaking them down so that normal people can understand them who aren't sat behind a desk trying to read through all the jargon (laughs) well you know i've hosted a f1 podcast for what nearly eight years now matt and i do you know listen to your explainers and go oh okay good well well now i know that Uh, the link for antonia's tiktok will be in the show notes below but you search for antonia f1 f1 antonia Oh, f1 antonia and then uh, you're on twitter as well yep yep you have to say um, now what oh, is the... Oh, that's um, Antonia J. Rankin. Oh, okay. J stands for... Uh... My middle name, Jade. Okay, good. Now then, <laughs> who is your What's It of the Weekend? My thing of the weekend, I I really want to give it to Alex Alban, Alexander the Great. I think he was Alexander just so good. I feel that's too grand. No, it's I, I really have a, a good feeling about the direction of Alex's career from here. I mean, obviously he stalled a bit kind of coming into Williams. Mm. He was really trying to find his feet again. And I think there's just some pictures today of him with the whole group behind him. It's something so majestic and victorious about it. You know, he didn't need to finish on the podium to be a winner in a way. I think he did such a great job today. He drove with so much flair, skill, intelligence he did exactly what he needed to do a hundred percent credit where credit is due no oh, absolutely fantastic well good um i'm going to give my thing of the weekend <laughs> i'm going to give my thing of the weekend to red bull right not just because they did great verstappen is part of red bull so i'm giving it to verstappen as well not just because they did great not because they were just you know dominant and they've, they've mastered these regulations they don't haven't put a foot wrong 2.3 second pit stops, 2.4 second pit stops. Absolutely fantastic with those big, massive wheels. But, like, they just, they do not care about the conventions of, of Formula One or politeness. They don't care if you see them forgetting about Perez and, like, packing up and going home and then Perez finishes qualifying. He's like, guys, where, where is everyone? They don't care about their junior team starting both their drivers from the pit lane just to make it a little bit easier for the driver who's got engine penalties to come through the pack and win the race. Uh, they're brutal. They are an absolute force majeure. They are they are the new F1 Death Star. I'm calling it. I'm giving them the thing of the weekend, but they're the new F1 Death Star. Here's the bad thing award. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Okay, I'm getting Antonia's mouthing. This is mine. You better go to me first. All right, here we go. I think I know what you want to claim, but go for it. Antonia Rankin. I absolutely bagsy Ferrari. <laughs> I bagsy. bagsy. Okay. 
because I'm so upset and disappointed as and I'm saying this with all of the love in the world as a Ferrari fan who just wants one of the most (gasps) iconic teams to do well Ferrari fan everyone's a Ferrari fan Seb said so if Seb said it it's true oh my okay it's hurtful hearing it out loud that's all (laughs) no no, that's fine you know look we're all different we're all people that's fine it's deep deep down but I know you feel it no don't 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 judge me. But, but yes, Ferrari missed the apex for you. I just, that it for me, the nail in the coffin was that pit stop at the end for fastest lap. It was just such a poor miscalculation. I just, I really thought coming back after the summer break, after a few mistakes per se with strategy, I thought they would come back and be or at least try to be be flawless. I thought they would be mm. keeping themselves so in line, not making any controversial moves because I thought, I just, surely, surely they would try and play it safe and be careful with strategy, but no. So yeah, definitely the missed apex because they didn't get the fastest lap and it just didn't work. It feels like, oh, why are you rolling the dice going for these kind of clever niche moves when you're not getting the basics right? And I think that would probably hurt if you were a a Ferrari fan. I do do feel a bit sorry for the, the strategists on the team radio because they're in Italy. I think the team strategists, at least, at least... Uh, Leclerc's strategist is Italian and then having to make these quick calls in a second language I do have a little bit of sympathy for that why is Ferrari doing its pit calls in English but why do they not go right okay no we're an Italian team let's let's do this in Italian and and at least have the drivers understand the basic instructions in Italian Matt I... required by the FIA as oh, I is recall it? no is that right yep is that right Antonia well the, if this is a bit of a niche piece of knowledge, but um, Charles Leclerc is pretty much fluent in Italian. He is—he was actually in Lightyear, you know, the Buzz Lightyear film. He's a character in it. He made a cameo, and <laughs> no Carlos, way. yeah, Carlos Sainz did so in the Spanish version as well. Like, it's not that they aren't proficient in Italian. It's the FIA are a French organization, and it's easier across the board if everyone speaks in English. I didn't know that. So, so on the team radio has to be in English. I, I'm actually shocked by that. I think that's that's yes, terrible. Gosh. I think that's harsh. Okay, interesting. I've learned a new thing, and now I have to formulate my official... I'm going to do an angry tweet about it, I reckon. That's what I'll do. A hot take. Carl Power, what's your hot take for the Missed Apex Award? Um, as much as it pains me to say it, um, I'm as big a fan of him as anyone on this panel is, but I'm going to have to give it to Lewis Hamilton for oh. his... Lap one mistake. Um, I'm a massive Lewis Hamilton fan. I think he's amazing, uh, but but that was a pretty bad mistake. It's certainly by his standards. As well. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I hold him to higher standards mm. than than most other drivers. So that was quite surprising. So yeah, he gets my mistake picks award. I'm extremely sad to say. Well, I'm giving my mistake picks award to Fernando Alonso for brutally wiping out Lewis Hamilton at Le Com. No, okay, it's got to be Latifi. It has got to be Latifi for just that crab wandering. Just it looked lazily like, okay, I don't know. Maybe I'll speak to him and he'll go, oh, I had a rear axle drop down or something. I don't know the technical terms. It just, it looked terrible. It looked like it was avoidable sliding across the the track and and then wiping out Bottas. And it's happening a lot. So like he, he seems to be losing it an awful lot. I genuinely hope for everyone's sake, probably including Latifi, that this is his last season. But certainly for Williams, I think you can put a better driver in that seat. 
Uh, yeah, no, I will say, you know, you know, when you're kind of driving and you have an intrusive thought where you're like, what if I just, what if I just oh, spun right now? No, no, do you know what? I used to have that in meetings. <laughs> I used to have that in meetings all the time. We used to go, what if I just got up now and just started throwing my shoes at people? Like, what would happen? <laughs> like, how would that go down? How- I just feel like Latifi lets the intrusive thoughts win. <laughs> you know, like Abu Dhabi last year, rather controversially spring up, but he's yeah. like, what if I just, what if I just interfered with the title fight? You know, same with oh, don't, today. Don't, you know? don't, don't, don't do that because you got what an awful if, what lot if I just of abuse spun right for now? that. <laughs> yeah, I know. You got an awful don't lot of abuse by that, which was which was horrible. And by all accounts, because I know Chris Stevens has worked with him, says he's an absolutely lovely guy. Mm. This is the pinnacle of motorsport. There's a few drivers that uh, you know drop it too often, and you know, you, you know, if you've got a Diniz circling around the back of the track, causing no trouble, you know, in thirtieth place, that, that's no problem. But as Dominicali said. He used the word franchise for the first time I've heard anyone from the FIA drop the term franchise. This is now a franchise sport. There's 10 teams, there's 10 franchises, not teams, 20 drivers. It's important now. We need to start shuffling them away and, and bringing in you know, top talent to the franchises. Matt, who missed the apex for you? Oh, that's just such a tough one because you took Latifi away from me and that's where I was going to go. <laughs> Um, do you want to say Latifi twice? Because I was quite, you know, I'm in that mood. We can just do it two times. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm thinking about it. And everybody showed up. Everybody went racing. And yeah, I mean, it just like it <laughs> yeah. was. A, a, well, you know what? I will. I will actually give it to McLaren. There we go. There's there's a team that looked like it underperformed, and then double down on its underperformance by undercutting their lead driver, even though I understand why they did it. So, so yeah, if you're a McLaren fan, yeah, I'm a McLaren fan too. And I just, yeah, yeah, just, just wasn't pretty for them this weekend. How about mm. that? Yeah, I accept that. And also uh, Aston Martin probably fall into that same category as well. And, you know, when you look at Alonso enjoying his little moment, a uh, third on the grid, because next season he seems to have resigned himself to the opposite end of the grid and and Alpine is suddenly looking all right, Matt. Uh, suddenly I'm thinking, maybe I should say Oscar Piastri after signing for McLaren and watching oh, today's dude. race. <laughs> maybe he's having second thoughts. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Thank you very much for tuning in to Missed Apex Podcast. Please go and follow my panel at Kyle Power F one Go and click the TikTok link and find out what Antonio Rankin is up to. Uh, go and follow my friend at MattPT55 or Matt Trumpets everywhere to see pictures of him uh, and his trumpet and we all like to give hot takes and we love hearing from you guys on twitter if you've listened this far you might think we're an okay podcast and you might want some extra content uh, like this tuesday we're going to waffle on on our doom scrolling podcast where we start off talking about you know more personal stuff and if f1 comes up then so it comes up we're trying to increase what we do with twitter spaces we are moving to have some call-ins as well. We had some successful experiments with that. Um, and if you want all that extra content, you might want to come and support us at patreon.com forward slash Apex. We've got an online forum as well uh, on the on Slack, on an app. And you can come and join us and chat to us. Me and Matt both spend far too much time there. But wherever we see you next, I think it will be either, if you're a patron, the patron pod on Tuesday, or it will be our Dutch Grand Prix race review where I believe we're going to line up with Chris Stevens, uh, Jono, and who else we've got? Alex Vanjie. Always fiery. Always giving hot takes. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.